So we're in part two of U-Turn, and it's all about um, a guy in the scriptures that you probably heard of, even if you haven't been around the church, called Jonah. And so if you weren't here last week, and you're kind of maybe on the skeptical side, and maybe you believe part of it, and, but there's just some of the miracles just freak you out in the scriptures. And so when you go to Jonah, you think whale, you think dude being swallowed by a giant fish. And so it's just hard for you to really grab a hold of that, grapple, grapple with that. So what I would love for you to do is go back and listen to last week on our website, or on um, our SoundCloud app, and just, I, I gave you kind of an out of, I want you to lean in, even if you have trouble believing part of this, because what we're talking about, this incredible journey has so many implications for your life, regardless of what belief spectrum you're on right now, regardless of where you are on the journey. And so you've got to go listen to that. I'm not going to rehearse it. We're going to dive in. But this story is so incredibly important because Jonah's life, the tension that Jonah feels I guarantee at some level intersects with every single one of us. And Jonah, in short, his story is a story of running from God. Jonah's story is a story that all of us at some level have experienced at certain seasons or we're in that season right now where we have run from God. And by run from God, what I mean is we have at some level resisted God's will. Where God's like, man, I want you to go here and we're like, I'm going over there. I want you to engage in this and we're like, I'm not going to engage in this. I want you to make this decision. I want you to pursue this. And we just at some level resist, stiff arm, go the other way, but we don't submit, we don't surrender to that. And in that sense, we run from God. We run from God financially. We run from God relationally. We run from God in terms of just our pursuits, our acquisitions, how we spend our time, our priorities, all of those things. And as I said last week, because it's so easy for us church people to sit in seats and like, man, this is good for them and this will be amazing and I'm praying for them right now. No, we're probably talking to you. Like this is not, I don't believe in God, I don't pray anymore. Maybe you're in the running from God stage where there's this one area of your life where you've never said this audibly, but you're like, this is off limits to God. I'm just not going to do this. And in that way, you're running from God. You haven't abandoned church, you haven't abandoned the Jesus thing, but, but you're still running. Or maybe it is more overt for you where at some point along the way you just decided there is no God. And generally, I don't want to be offensive to you, but generally the way that works is our behavior starts to change and behavior precedes disbelief. So when our behavior changes, we decide that the easiest way to appease our conscience with our behavior is to decide there is no God. And then we go find reasons to disbelieve so we can tell people and feel better about ourselves. But then there's those moments where we're staring up at the ceiling where you know. You know that your reason for disbelief is not an intellectual or theological reason. It's you started to behave differently, and so then you decided to believe differently. And at some level, you know the whole reason is really if I admit to a God, it means i got to submit to that God. If I admit to a God, at some level, I'm accountable. Or maybe you're at the place where there really is some theological, intellectual reasons that keep you from following God. And yet again, there's this thing of your conscience, these ought and ought nots, and I should and I shouldn't, that you keep wrestling with, but you can't really explain where those come from. And you don't even live up to your own legit standards for your life. Like, what is that? But all of us at some level run. You've run in a relationship. You've run with a decision. You've run with a God I, I, it wants you to go in this direction and you go the opposite direction. But all of us at some level are running. We may have not stopped praying. We may have not stopped believing. 
but we're still running. And here's the other thing about it for a lot of us is that if we're in that place of running from God, a lot of us have enough like track record to know that at some point, some of the chaos that we're creating is going to catch up with us, right? Like there's going to be kind of a day of reckoning. And I don't mean like when we die. I just mean there's going to be some chaos and carnage at some season down the road in that relationship. That financial decision, there's a good chance it's not going to end well. These pursuits are not going to serve you well forever. They may right now, but not forever. And we know that at some point, we are going to have to stop running. At some point, we're going to have to kind of give it up. It's really funny because as I talk to a lot of people, at some level, we even schedule that time. For some of us, we have in the back of our mind, well, when I get married, I'm finally going to get serious about this. When I have kids, usually the kids is the big thing where like suddenly you, you just start to kind of grow up and you're like, okay, when I have kids and things are, are going to be different, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to stop resisting. For others of us, your timeline is much shorter than that. You're like, okay, at the end of summer, at the end of spring break 18, like you would never say that out loud, but you're not taking any of those plans and like, God, would you bless? No, I like, I'm going to run for a little while. And then on the other side of that, once I do kind of what I want to do, then I'm going to wave the white flag. Then I'm going to surrender to all of this. Maybe it's on the other side of signing the papers, on the other side of the deal. But we know at some level there's chaos that's going to catch up. And at some level, we know at some point we're going to have to surrender. And you've actually kind of calendared that. That day, and you've been running from God. You've been running overtly, kind of with your life, or maybe covertly with one area of your life. And here's what Jonah discovered last week, and here's what eventually you will discover is that you can go to Guatemala if you want. Maybe that's what you've been running from God. And and this is just the Holy Spirit today going, you've been called and you won't go. But also the fact that you can run from God to Guatemala or wherever else in your life, but you cannot outrun God. You can run from God, you can stiff arm God, you can resist God in that decision, but ultimately you will not be able to outrun God. And as we said last week, that is simultaneously encouraging and terrifying at the same time. But no matter how far you've gone down the road, God will never abandon you. God will never move the other direction from you. So here's what we said just to catch you up. Jonah was a guy who's a prophet. He was called by God to be kind of the spokesman to people on behalf of God. He would usually deliver a message that nobody wanted to hear. And so Jonah was called by God to go to a people in Nineveh, in Assyria, and basically tell them, you guys have rebelled against God in a way that is just out of control. And if you don't repent, if you don't U-turn, if you don't change the direction of your lives, of your nation, then God's going to bring judgment. And Jonah knew all about Assyria, so he's like, okay, God, why don't you just skip the whole I go preach to these people and just judge them now? And God's like, I'm not going to do that. And so Jonah hops on a boat. He's from Israel. That's his people. That's where he's comfortable. And rather than going kind of northeast up to um, Nineveh, located in Assyria, he goes over to a little place called Joppa, hops on a boat, and then he sails southwest as far as the trade route would allow him. Basically, he goes as far as the ancient world would take him at that time to modern-day Spain, a place called Tarshish. Basically, Jonah gets this you know, invitation from God to say, hey, Jonah, this is where I want you to go. And Jonah doesn't have, like us, any theological really resistance. He doesn't really have any intellectual argument. He doesn't have any big reason why he shouldn't go. He just, he's just like, okay, God, thank you for the invitation, 
No, I'm not going to do that. And so he goes to Joppa, gets on a boat, very dangerous, and goes all the way southwest to Tarshish to run away from God and to run away from what God wants for his life. And here's what Jonah runs into. Here's what eventually, I think, at some level, specifically if you're a follower of Jesus today, and if you're not, we're so glad you're here, but if you're a follower of Jesus, what eventually you will run into and discover what many of us have already discovered, and it's simply this, that somewhere along the way you'll bump into the idea that God's grace is extravagant, over-the-top, disproportionate, beyond, way beyond what we deserve, and God is also thorough with his discipline. God is extravagant with his grace. It's over the top, but he is also thorough with his discipline. And in many cases, we think that these two things are at odds. But even if you're a parent or you know of a parent who's decent, we know that these two things aren't at odds. That God, in his extravagant expression of grace, undeserved, I'm going to run you down, not to pay you back, to win you back. I want relationship with you. I want the best amount of good for your life. I want to lead you into what you will not find on your own. And out of my grace is the catalyst for my discipline. Basically, God's discipline looks like this. It is God going like Jonah, I will provide something at some point along the way to get your attention. I will provide something to move into your path so that I can, again, not pay you back. You were paid back at the cross through Christ. When Jesus came to planet Earth, he absorbed all of our sin, all of our wrath, all of your dysfunction, everything that you're going to do in a year or two from now. All that was taking on him on the cross, and when he walked out of a grave alive, which we believe happened in history, it is finished. Paid in full was written across all of humanity. And when you trust Christ, you are forgiven. The debt is paid. Sin is no longer held over you. There is no condemnation in Christ. There is no retribution. You have a relationship with God where you can call him Heavenly Father and payback never has to be worried about. Again, God is on a mission to win you back. God is on a mission to get you back. And out of his extravagant grace, he says, I will provide something and put something in your way in order to get you back quicker because I know what is best for your life. I know what ultimately is going to serve you well. It's why... It's why some of you may be here today and there's some chaos that's ensuing because of some decisions that you've made and you've kind of connected the dots, but you feel like kind of what you did in your decision is like this, and yet there's this disproportionate, what I'm experiencing as a result is like this, and it may be that God in his extravagant grace is trying to get your attention, not to pay you back, but ultimately to win you back and to get you back. And so that's exactly where Jonah is at. And so Jonah is swallowed by a fish, which I know is crazy and a little bit over the top, but he's swallowed by a fish. He spends three days and three nights there. And, and in this passage, it's so powerful. Jonah journals what that experience was like. Jonah journals everything that kind of went through his heart and his mind and his life-altering, I mean, come on, inside a fish, it's going to be life-altering, life-altering journey over those couple days and basically where he was led to, where Jonah finally says, listen, I'm ready, I'm ready to U-turn. I'm ready to stop running. I, I'm done chasing things that are in opposition to God. And, and Jonah begins to discover that God is absolutely over-the-top extravagant with his grace while simultaneously being thorough with his discipline. 
In Jonah 2.1, or actually let me start in 117 where we left off last week. Here's what it says. If you've got a Bible, if you're watching online, you can download version on your phone. Um, if you've got a physical Bible in front of you, start in Matthew and go left or you'll never find it. Here's what Jonah in chapter 117, how it, how it picks up. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, from the inside of the fish, and this is so awesome, inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. And what I love about this, this is why the scripture is so brilliant, this is why you should give it another look, this is why you should investigate a deeper level if you're struggling with some of it. Jonah prays what has been prayed for 2,750 years since this moment. This is the prayer through every generation from about every people group, every ethnicity, every language, every culture. Jonah is in the spot, whether you can relate to being in a whale or not, and you can't, you can relate with what Jonah is about to pray in these circumstances because this is the common experience of everybody since this moment. Here's what Jonah prays in verse 2. In my distress, or here's what Jonah does. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Isn't it true that for a lot of us, the first time that you prayed in a long time was when you were in a moment of distress, where you're staring at a pregnancy test, where you're driving home and you've got to confess something to your wife that you're afraid that she's already found out. In that moment where you know things are starting to unravel around that deal and you had some suspicion it wasn't the right thing in the first place and now you don't know where to go next. You're at the end of the financial line. You've got to confess something to your husband and it's going to be the most terrifying conversation of your life and you don't know where things are going to go from there. You are riddled with anxiety in such a way that there seems to be no outlet to it and you don't know where to go next. And in your distress... You called out to the Lord. And isn't it amazing that no matter what you thought before that, no matter what you believed before that moment, no matter your kind of theological workings, no matter what your resistance was on the other side or of or in the middle of, in your distress, regardless of what you believe, regardless of how you had justified your behavior, regardless of your resistance, in your distress, you called out to the Lord. It's usually not till you get to a place where your back's against the wall, there's nowhere to go next, you don't really have a good play, there's not a good decision that's going to solve all of this. And it's so crazy because it doesn't matter how smart you were beforehand. It doesn't matter how connected you are. It doesn't matter how careful you were. There is a moment where you get to the end of yourself and you don't know where to go next. You don't know what to do next. You don't know what your next play is. And in that moment, you called out to the Lord because here's the deal circumstantial brokenness has a way of overpowering our will. It has a way of overpowering our intellect. It has a way of overpowering all of our theological arguments, and it has a way of overpowering our resistance. And the only thing left for us to do is to call out to the Lord. In my distress, I called to the Lord And he answered me. From the depths, and he repeats it, from the grave, I called out for help. And you, God, the one I've been running from, you listened to my 
cry. God listens to the desperate cry of desperate people in desperate circumstances that they created. That that when you call out to the Lord in the moment of your distress and there's no other option and God knows there's no other option, when desperate people in desperate circumstances cry out to God, God listens, God moves in their direction, God answers even in circumstances that they created, they manufactured, and they chose. And here's the thing, man, for a lot of us, this is the reason that we've run from God or kept running from God. Because you've made some decisions, you've done some things, you've run after and chased some things, and you get a certain point down the road where there is so much chaos that's been created. There's so many promises that have been broken, and maybe not just to people around you, but in your relationship with God. There's so many things that have gone down that you get to a place where there's been so many promises. God, I've talked to you so many times about this. I've hurt them so many times. I've gone in this direction so many times. I I have bowed to this temptation so many times that I don't think I can ever come back. I don't think I can ever move back in your direction. And so we actually prolong the running. We prolong the resistance and the reality, the truth, the gospel. This is what you need to know. God listens to the desperate cry of desperate people in desperate circumstances, even if those circumstances they created. And there Jonah is in this whale understanding this reality that God is extravagant with his grace. And he's thorough with his discipline. But his extravagance and grace basically looks like this. It is a constant invitation that no matter how far you've run, no matter how much you've accumulated, no matter what the chaos looks like, that no matter what, God's extravagant grace is a constant invitation that you can turn back, you can repent, you can come home, and the reaction of your heavenly father every single time is not anger, it's heartbreak because he wants more for you than you want for yourself. And so there Jonah is in the belly of this whale, and in verse 3 he says, you, you, Like, God, you hurled me into the deep. This wasn't the sailors. This wasn't anybody else. God, this was you chasing me, pursuing me, coming after me, never abandoning me. And you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. In verse 4, I said, I have been banished from your sight, and I chose this. I ran. I resisted. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And then the next part of his prayer before we get there is so incredibly interesting that let me just review Jonah's story up into this point. Jonah, uh, again, is called to go to Nineveh. He goes, to the, he goes the opposite direction. He resists God. He ends up on this boat. Ultimately, there is a connection between Jonah's running and the fact that this boat is going to capsize. It's going to break apart. So finally, everybody realizes that. Jonah's kind of the last of the party. But they all realize, okay, the result of what is happening is you, Jonah. You're the common denominator. 
we need to throw you overboard. So it's just Jonah basically comes to them and says, listen, the whole reason this is happening is because I'm on the boat and you need to get rid of me. It's kind of like this happened about three times. I'll get on a plane and about one or two, I think two times I've actually, so random, I've met a, like a CCer on the way there and usually I have a baby. So I'm like, I apologize in advance for what's about to happen over the next hour and a half. But I'm getting on the plane and several times I've heard this from people, either that I know or that I have a conversation with in the seat. They find out I'm a pastor. They're like, man, I am so glad you're on the plane. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I guess, but the thing is, we don't know what the guy in seat 35G did, so like, maybe the whole thing's going down because of him, so there, there Jonah is, and like, he, he just tells the guy, you got to throw me over, and so the guys finally relent, okay, Jonah, we're going to throw you over, and here's the question, like, when do you think along the line did Jonah finally repent, Jonah finally U-turn, Jonah finally say, okay, I've had enough running, God, I surrender, when do you think that was? Into night three, in the belly of a whale, maybe afternoon of day two, and maybe it was toward the evening when the sun was setting on the first day when he's inside the whale, and Jonah is finally like, man, I've had enough. When do you think Jonah was finally at the end of the line? He was finally just ready. I give it up. I surrender. I think it was about the time that the sailors had his ankles and his arms and are going, one, two, three. Wait, do we throw him on three, or is it after three? All right, one, one. Two, and I think at that point, in that moment, Jonah's like, I surrender. I'll go to Nineveh. I'll go to Narnia. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I like, I'm in. I surrender all in that moment. I mean, Jonah didn't need to see any more than that. When he's about to be thrown over into those raging seas, it was all over for him. He was done. It's really interesting when I, I don't know why this example keeps coming up, but whatever, we'll just keep running with it. But when I was a kid, um, when we would get in trouble, we would get spanked. And I don't, again, I, this has come up in like three series this year. And you, again, you don't need to like feel sorry for me. I'm glad that my dad did that. Um, we believe the same thing in my home. Like some of you are glad your parents did that. Some of you, we wish your parents had done that. So it's like, it's, it's fine. Um, but here's what my dad believed, and I believe this strongly in an appropriate way, is that if you can um, connect rebellion and pain, that's a really good thing. If I can connect that now for my five-year-old when the stakes are really, really low and there's really not a lot to lose, that is an amazing thing because later on at 22, the stakes will be much higher. If I can teach him and her now that rebellion equals pain, it will serve them well later. Well, my dad got this full on. So he, as I've told you before, handcrafted a beautiful paddle with a little hole so it was decorative and it was functional. And so it would, it would be there in the kitchen. And when something happened... He would immediately be like, okay, if it was paddle worthy, I don't remember what those things were, but if it was paddle worthy, he's like, all right, I'm going to get the paddle. And he would walk into the kitchen, he would get the paddle. When he would come back with the paddle, in that moment, I was a changed man. I'm sorry, 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 I'm I'm in, I'm in. God, I mean, God, Dad, I like. You kind of feel like God right now. I like I surrender all. I'll do whatever you want. I'll eat it. I'll eat hers. I'll never go anywhere again. I'll never play with that in the house again. God, I mean, Dad, I am a changed man. I will never, ever, 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 
ever do it again. I get it. I get it. Thank you, Dad, for teaching me this lesson. But what my dad understood, what good dads, I think, understand, however you practice it, is that rebellion equals pain, and you need to draw that connection. So at the end, and I would always negotiate, like, get ready to paddle. Oh, wait, 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 one more thing, one more thing. Don't paddle me. I, like, I never had anything. Like, that's all I had. And so I would get to the end, and, like, again, I was, I was changed. I, w- I was committing. I was never going to do it again. You know what my dad would do? He would paddle me anyway. <laughs> because sometimes, this is what good fathers know, good mothers know. This is what your perfect heavenly father knows, is that sometimes discipline must be thorough to ensure that we never run again. And maybe it's because there, and God knows this in heaven more than we even know this, but because of the pain that's associated with it, because of the carnage that's associated with it, because of the scars that are associated with it, because of all that he knows are on the other side of it, and he's a God from the very beginning has invited us into an intimate relationship where he says, would you just trust me? You don't know what's best for you. I do. But God is extravagant with his grace, and he is thorough in his discipline. And so Jonah gets swallowed by a whale, and whatever that looks like, he rattles around inside of that thing for three days and three nights. And verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened him, threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head, the roots of the mountains sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. I love his language. And at this moment, more than any other time, Jonah understood God is extravagant with his grace. And he's thorough with his discipline. When Israel abandoned and rebelled against God and God had warned over and over and over again, they spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity. I think they learned their lesson in three. Seven? Seventy? When Israel rebelled in the most obvious ways, and we would have done the same thing, but still when you read the account of coming out of Egyptian captivity and God promising the promised land and raining down food from heaven, like what else do you people want? And they still rebelled from God. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. I think they understood in four weeks. When David turned his back on God, ultimately even at the end of his life called a man after God's own heart, his leadership. His reputation, his family was wrecked in ways that almost seemed over the top. And yet, at the end of David's journey, God still sent a Messiah through his household that ended up being the salvation of the world. Because God's discipline is thorough, but his grace is extravagant. In verse 6, Jonah in the belly of the whale says, but you... When I thought it was over, when I thought there was no way to turn, when I thought there was no way I could come back, but you brought my life up from the pit by the way that you created God. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. And, Lord, my prayer rose to you and to your holy temple. And then just real quick, if you've been tuning out, if you've been somewhere else listening or watching online, this is the point that I want you to get, and I'm just going to read a couple more verses. Because at this point, this is so amazing, so brilliant, so describes our experiences. Because right here, Jonah condenses all the experience of every runner down to a couple sentences. Jonah condenses our experience and the dilemma of every single person who has run from God. And here's what he says, verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols, 
forfeit, abandon, give up, don't experience. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Here's what idolatry is, just to try to explain this in the, the most simple terms I can, is idolatry is your willingness to say no to God to get what you ultimately desire. And ultimate desires are not bad desires. Ultimate desires are things like worth and acceptance and security and love and joy and peace. Behind every decision, behind every weeknight, behind every cheap motel, behind every educational decision, behind every pursuit that you wish you could take back, all of them stem from ultimate desires. And then there's pursuits that aren't any of those things. They're good pursuits. They're amoral pursuits. They're things at the end of the day that are even good for us. But where it becomes idolatry is when you are able to say no to God to get those things. Either get them when you want them, the way you want them, or to use them how you want them. But idolatry is being willing to say no to God to get even a good thing. But the moment you're willing to say no to God to get it, that thing becomes your surrogate savior. Here's what Jonah is saying. Just stay with me for a second. Is that every time you run from God, you are running to something or to someone. You're running to an opportunity. You're running to a lifestyle. You're running to some kind of pleasure. You're running to find meaning in something. But every time you run, you are running to an opportunity or to a person. And the dilemma that he is describing is that when you finally get there, when runners finally get there, there is a point. There is a point where they realize that what they have been chasing, what they've been trying to acquire, what they have been after to find meaning, what they have been running toward all of this time was not worth what they gave up, that what they have been chasing was not worth what they left behind. And there is a moment somewhere along the journey, just lean in and hear me for a second, where they miss what they left behind, where they miss what they ultimately gave up. And there is this clarity, there's this revelation, man, what I have been chasing wasn't worth it. What I've been going after was not worth it. It didn't deliver. And I actually gave up what I now realize I value more in this moment which is relationship, the experience of grace. This is not about salvation. The grace that he's talking about is the experience of grace, the experience of God's love, the intimacy in relationship, the fact that, man, there is nothing hindering my relationship with the God of the universe. And he says there's going to be a moment where you go far enough and realize that it wasn't worth what you gave up, what you gained paled in comparison. It wasn't worth the trade. You traded the experience of God's love and God's grace, and you get to the end of a season, you get to the end of the pursuit, you get to the end of a relationship, and realize that you gave your life pursuing something that was worthless because it wasn't worth what you ultimately gave up. And here's how Jonah knew that. Here's how you know that. Is because in your distress, you do not cry out for the thing that you abandon God to pursue. You cry out for God. In that moment when you finally get to that realization, you do not cry out for the relationship. 
You do not cry out for the 401k. You do not cry out for the square footage. You do not cry out for those nights of, you know, whatever. You do not cry out for all that you gave all of your life to. You don't cry out for any of those things. When you come to the end of yourself, the thing that you cry out for in your distress is the thing that you gave up, the experience of love and the experience of grace of your heavenly Father. Because every single one of us intuitively know the most valuable thing on the planet is to have a relationship with God to where you know you are loved, there is no strings attached. God's empowering, strengthening grace is present every single day of your life. He is with you. He is for you. There is nothing hindering the relationship, but it's not till we're broken oftentimes. So we get to the place and it becomes clear that that what I have pursued is worthless compared to what I gave up. What I have gained is worthless compared to what I left behind. But I, with song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good, because salvation, rescue comes from the Lord. And so the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And then chapter 3, verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And what do you think Jonah did the second time? Do you know why God came to Jonah a second time? Because God is extravagant with his grace, even though he's thorough with his discipline. And he said, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I gave you. And so Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So here's what I want to do. Something different than what we normally do, but I just have been kind of praying about this, impressed about this for several days now. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond as we close. I just want to give you an opportunity to tangibly, and for maybe for some of you publicly, declare, I'm not going to run anymore. I'm going to, as best I can, and I can't work out all the details, and, and I know that I can't do this on my, my own, but I'm going to U-turn my life. I'm going to stop running, maybe overtly, just kind of in every area of my life or in this one area that has been off limits to God, but I'm going to make a declaration that I have clung to worthless idols at the expense of the experience of the grace and the love of my Heavenly Father. And just hear me again, it's not that God's grace and love are not present every single moment of the day, every single moment of your life, but you have run away from the experience of that. Just like when my kid rebels, my love has not ceased in any way, but the experience of relationship is fractured. And the moment you walk, the moment you run away, you have forfeited the experience of that. And so I want to give you a chance to just publicly declare, I'm not running anymore. I'm U-turning my life. I'm done. God, I don't know what this is going to look like. This may be a declaration with my knees wobbling, but I I surrender this to you, and I want to declare once and for all that I trust you. And I've spent a season or maybe seasons of my life pursuing worthless idols that are not going to satisfy me. Maybe you're realizing that in this moment. Maybe you're at the end of acquiring what you wanted to acquire only to be completely deflated. 
So God, right now in this moment, I, I just, I surrender to you and I'm not gonna spend another season chasing something that's ultimately going to create chaos in every area of my life. And come on, just hear me. This has nothing to do with God's love and grace. When you step outside of his plan for your life, the manufacturer, not just of the universe, but individually of you with a plan, with a will, with a destiny. When you do, it creates chaos. When you handle finances outside of how God designed, it creates chaos. When you handle sex outside of God's design, it creates chaos. When you handle pursuits and priorities outside of God's design, it creates chaos. And a God who is extravagant in his love says, would you just trust me? Would you just follow me? And so just in a moment, we're gonna close with one song just briefly. And if there's any way you can just wait, we're gonna get out of here like close to right on time. If you could just wait to not jet out of here just out of just out of just a sensitivity to what, what God's going, doing in the, the hearts and lives who are maybe around you. I just wanna give you a couple options for some of you, maybe right where you are, just a declaration. Palms out, God, I surrender. For some of you, we don't do this often. And I know if, if, you're unchurched, this starts to get kind of weird. It's like, that's when they're going to take the snakes out in just a second here. That's not what we're going to do. Like, I get that. But I want to give you an opportunity to just come forward and just pray. Because there's something about a public declaration that anchors something in our hearts and our minds. For some of you, you're here, and maybe there's somebody who's here with you, and you've been praying for them this entire service. And you can't believe I'm talking about this. And they know that you know. And maybe if you're that person where you know there's somebody's been pursuing you and they're kind of God's instrument in your life and, and that you, there's kind of this weird tension of they know and I know that they know. And maybe in this moment as we sing, it's just a shoulder tap, just as, a, just as an indication. I know, thank you. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for praying for me. And, and I don't want to run any longer because I know at some point I'm going to get to the end of my running and I'm going, to, I'm going to accumulate scars and chaos. And then in my distress, I'm going to have to surrender anyway and give it all up. So I just want to do it right now. And then for some of you, that's right where you are. You are in the point of distress. You've already gotten there. You're already at the end of it. There, there's always already things that you can't unravel. And maybe you're here today and out of desperation, you came to church, you clicked on, you listened to this out of desperation. And in your heart and mind, there's a wondering, man, does God even love me? Is God even pursuing me? Does God even care? Is God even present? And here is the amazing news that reverberates through all ages, that when you cry out to the Lord in your distress for help and forgiveness, the answer is yes, every single time. The answer is, I can't say this enough times, God is not angry at you. His anger was absorbed on Jesus at the cross. He is heartbroken like a father for his son or daughter. I want the best for your life. I want maximum pleasure for you. I want you to experience peace at its ultimate, and it is just better when you follow me. It may seem risky on the front end, and it is. It may seem like you're giving up something on the front end, and you are. It is better to follow me. And when desperate people cry out desperately in desperate circumstances that they created, God answers every single time. Because he is extravagant with his grace, even though he's thorough with his discipline. Can I just say this for some of you as guys, and I can do this because I'm a guy. 
and I get a little bit maybe how you're wired, this is so humiliating for us. And just know that like, if you're in that place where you're just wrestling and there's a tension, this is gonna happen at all of our services today at both locations as I speak via video in Wesley Chapel as we're live here, there's gonna be a wrestling. Just know that I probably don't even know you, you're not wrestling with me. You're wrestling with your heavenly father. And can I just say this on behalf of people who would never speak this to you? Maybe the greatest gift you could give your wife Maybe the greatest gift you could give your fiance, maybe the greatest gift you could give your kids is a public declaration. I have run after worthless idols at the expense of what really matters and I'm not running anymore. And that, that takes a lot of humility. But can I just tell you that unhumility or lack of humility just leads you to repeat unwise and untrue decisions over and over and over again. But when you humble yourself, you find this throughout the scripture, it is an invitation for God to show up and do something supernatural in your life that doesn't happen any other way. When you bow the knee to say, God, I submit, I surrender, I humble myself before you. And when you cry out in your despair for help, he answers. And he's been pursuing you. He's been moving after you. In some cases, I know this is hard to hear. He's put things in your path to get your attention. And just hear me if you don't get anything else and maybe you're not willing to surrender in this moment. God is not coming to pay you back. God is after you. God has placed that thing in your life. God has allowed that to unravel to win you back. And it's up to you whether you're going to respond. Would you just pray with me all over the house and then we're going to stand and we're going to close in a song and I'm going to invite you to come down front if this is your moment to declare I've clung to some things I shouldn't have clung to and in this moment I'm publicly declaring I don't want to run anymore Jesus I've done everything that I know to do for those of us God who have walked with you for a little while it's been so imperfect and time so dysfunctional and it's been such a roller coaster of trust but in our imperfect way those of us who just by your grace have followed you for a little while there's such an angst that you feel because it's just you've developed a track record that you can be trusted and that your ways are just better they're not pain free they're not problem free but they're better and so God the invitation this morning is not for better marriages it's not to have a better GPA it's not to get through college unscathed morally it's it's that in all of those things we would be willing to trust you because we love you because we want to glorify you with our life and every decision and every pursuit and you have created us to bring you glory and maximum fulfillment God help us to believe this in this moment people who are podcasting this in some random place God help us to believe this in this moment when we live our lives for your glory maximum fulfillment and pleasure and peace is found in that space and so God I get the resistance I am a fellow wanderer runner and rebel but God, do something in our hearts and lives and we are praying for nothing short of supernatural that you would move many prodigals to use your language to come home, that many of us would just stop running and we would trust our lives to you. And so we pray all of this.
the incredible, saving, rescuing, welcoming back name of Jesus. Amen. Would you just stand with me? And as you feel led, if God does move in your heart, would you just come forward and pray as we close out?